0: Hello, and welcome to Keeping Innovation Alive, hosted by Bill Nottingham. Sit back and dive in with us as we speak with corporate innovators and founders that are driven to keep innovation alive. 20th Century Fox, many of us can hum the fanfare sounds. You know, the song that's before The Simpsons or other Fox-related movies? I personally can't separate the song from Star Wars despite the new Disney ownership of the franchise. I first met Mike Dunn at a Consumer Technology Association event in 2011. The Consumer Technology Association is best known for putting on the Consumer Electronics Show, which takes place in January in Las Vegas. Well, I said, my name is Bill, and he said, my name is Mike. I asked him what he did, and then he said that he worked for 20th Century Fox. As some people may know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so I said, have you ever met George Lucas? And he said, yes, I was actually at the Lucas Ranch during the first showing of Phantom Menace. And I said, that's great. Last weekend, I was at a fair in Cleveland, and this guy had all the bounty hunters tattooed on his legs. Isn't that wild? And he was today, here we are in a podcast.
1: Hey, Bill, it's good to see you, bud.
0: Mike's going to sit down and talk with us today about his time there to help us understand some of the industry challenges and how his team overcame some of those. Hey, Mike, here's something I've always wanted to know. How did you land the role at 20th Century Fox in the first place? I
1: I was uh, I grew up in a farm in Colorado and uh, went to college. And then uh, I moved to New York City and I was working at uh, an, an advertising agency, BBDO Worldwide. At the time, this was in the, the early 80s. It was the, the place, you know, it had all the key clients, you know, General Electric, Gillette, Unilever, visa, Apple, you know, you could list them. And uh, they had this training program and you spent three years in this training program going from account to account, which was a, a great learning experience because you would see how, you know, the car business works. And then three months later, you'd see how the razor blade business works and then the soda business and so on. And then after that, that training program ended, basically everyone in town was trying to recruit the executives that came out of there. And I was recruited by a joint venture just down the block on 6th, 6th Avenue uh, called CBS Fox. That company was designed to address the home viewing market. At the time, You know, there was Betamax and there were VHS. Some of the studios didn't actually believe in that format but both CBS and Fox did. And so they formed this joint venture to go after the market. And at the time we had literally 50% of that market that was just doubling every year. It was really populated by mom and pop video retailers that were springing up in small towns across America. Done haphazardly, there was like 12 distributors that would service these little mom and poppers and we would sell films into these distributors, which then turn, go into these smaller territories and, and sell them off. That was my first foray into, into Hollywood. If you look at it from there, you know, what are the big steps? Hollywood was one of the first global industries, right? We went global with theaters in the 40s and the 50s. You know, in the 80s, we went global with, in a 10 year span, became the number one profit center um, for Hollywood, took Hollywood to a completely different level. And as a result, it took people's salaries up, it took the the production cost of films up. I mean, we were making movies, you know, in the 90s at, at budget levels and, and scope that had never, ever been dreamt of before. To spend $100 million on a movie was, was just, you, you just didn't think of that. And then when the DVD was invented, you know, Toshiba had a lot to do with that. That, that changed the economics once again to where people started buying movies and consuming them. And um, that that took you know the the revenue profile of Hollywood that doubled it again, and suddenly like theater groups to Walmart. I mean, for all of Hollywood.
0: So really, before DVDs, people really didn't buy VHS.
1: It, it most VHS was designed to to be sold into a rental store in a price wow. tag of like $100. <laughs> and the reason it was $100 was, you know, if the guy rented it 30 times, you know, you're trying to get your share of that from the the rental. So it'd be priced at $100, and maybe, you know, a year later, you'd bring it down to $19.99. But very few people bought VHS. Disney started selling their movies for 30 bucks. And they were doing 10, 12, 20 million copies. I think Lion King did 30 million copies, you know, on VHS. And, and Fox started selling our live action movies. Our our first really big seller was Home Alone. At the time, was the the number one comedy of
0: all time. So when the movie came out, I was at summer camp, and you're going to get a kick out of this. There was a kid at my camp that was the body double for the main character. Oh, really?
1: That's yes. That's... that's Culkin, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, our our next title that we took into that market, and we opened Walmart Direct. Flew down to Walmart. We had this movie called Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire um, was was managed in the studio by this lady Elizabeth Gabler, who was young at the time. She turned out to just be a hit factory her entire life even to this day go down the list of elizabeth gabler films and they're just all oh, massive great hits not a, no two alike devil wears prada just a list of fantastic films but anyway so we went to walmart we we had distributors at the time and the distributor their whole thing is to make sure that they're out of stock, right? 500,000 cassettes and they wanna be out of stock. And the studio wants to sell as many cassettes as possible, not just make sure that the guy has no return. So we basically use the same display they were selling Hanes underwear in
0: no, no, don't tell yeah, me. That. I, I,
1: bought the, I bought a display full of Hanes underwear, shipped it to my office, took it to our supplier and said we need to build something like this and put, you know, a thousand video cassettes in it and make sure it doesn't fall apart.
0: I love the fact that that's a challenge that you right? guys invented. <laughs> so anyway, we, we, you know,
1: Mrs. Doubtfire and just in the United States and Canada sold 12 million copies, you know, at 1999.
0: Did Haynes even know that they were part of that no, one? No, they didn't.
1: They didn't. And we 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 had our legal team on it so we didn't rip off any of their IP and here we are making 12 million video cassettes. Studio is like, I hope you're right on this because this seems like vesting in something that we don't know if anyone will buy.
0: A lot of these formats that were influential at the time are making a comeback now. It's it's like the '80s are back. I mean, I just saw a movie last night called Eight <laughs> Bit Christmas.
1: <laughs> that's that's uh, pretty good. It's, so then the you know the DVD business takes off, and it's you know we're doing 30 million DVDs on Titanic, we're doing 40 million on Avatar, things like that. But you can see that the film quality is going up by leaps and bounds, right? Jim Cameron and John Landau had to invent technology to even make
0: that movie, right? That's the story I've always wanted to know about. So I've heard rumors that you were directly involved with James Cameron during the development of Avatar. And what can you share looking back on that time in your career? I mean, really, when you look at what he did, he truly broke ground. And even today, I'm not even sure if there's any other 3D movies no. that compare.
1: My, my role is as, as an entertainment executive employed by 20th Century Fox on behalf of the studio with one of our filmmakers. One of many mm-hmm. people that is working with Jim and his his company. Get it down to its bare bones is Jim Cameron writes the script, envisions the characters and the world's. And the language and does is in a very short period, like in the first 60 seconds, it ports you out of your life into that world because you buy into it because he's built an entire world, right? Wow. There's very few people that can actually vision the world and then actually produce it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, you have to be scientist engineer writer you know there's very few people like that if yeah. there's anyone other than him you just you are just goes for it on original material if you look at today you see big budget films that are based on pre-existing franchises but jim you know avatar no one had any idea one year prior what this was going to be and then you know he he does it and you you'll see in those the way those films are released, they grow in the theater over peri- over weeks and weeks and weeks. Usually a film starts big and then it deteriorates into the first 30 days. Jim's films, because people are discovering it, they just keep growing. Avatar was still in theaters in April and it was released before Christmas. You know, that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. It's a phenomenon.
0: So the new James Bond movie that came out, I watched on my Apple TV. It was great. But I'll tell you what, when the new Avatar comes out, I'll finally go back to the theater. And and that's how you get us back. You get us back with real stories, innovation, excitement, amazing 3D. That's That's really only found in theaters, right?
1: Especially when you have a filmmaker that there's no detail too small. With Jim, details matter. And you wonder why you're so emotionally moved by the film. And it's like, there was no detail that wasn't thought through and presented on the screen. It sounds and it looks beautiful. you know.
0: Hey, Mike, I think we could probably talk for another 10 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, I really want to say uh, thanks for joining me. This has been awesome. I've, I've got a whole list of movies I'm writing down to watch again. Thank you very much. And I'm excited about the future. And, and I wanted to say, Mike, I, I, I'm honored to have you here. I, I consider you a friend it's been a lot of fun knowing you. I can't wait to see what's next.
1: Thanks, Bill. You're a good man. Thank you for joining our latest episode. We hope our discussion inspired you to keep innovation alive. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review. We hope you join us next time.